So, um, we're going through uh, doctrine, uh, some basic doctrine and things like that, um, and uh, looking at, uh, we're going to begin by looking at God and just generally the concept of God. Um, and as we begin, we're going to be looking at the, what would I, I would call the impersonal or non-personal, whatever, the attributes of God. In other words, these are not his character, per se. Uh, character would be how you relate to those around you, right? Um, a, a loving person. All those types of words, caring, gentle, those are words that really relate to or, or describe how you relate to other people. Uh, there are some things about you that are not personal. They, they just describe you. You're tall, you're short, whatever. They, 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 it has nothing to do with your connection to other people. Um, <clears throat> so we're going to be looking at, at uh, I think probably this week and, and next week, God's um, non-personal attributes. And we'll look at his most, uh, the most central is his, his identity, his, his most fundamental character. Um, when people describe God, how do we describe our understanding of God? I know we're very limited. What do you think of when you think of God's most basic identity? What is the Judeo, what we would call the Judeo-Christian concept of God? Okay. That's everybody who worships a God, almost everybody that worships a God has that idea of God. But we want to look specifically at the Judeo-Christian. Ready? Okay, so that's a, that's a personal characteristic. That's how he relates to other people. Okay, creator. His most fundamental idea, when we talk about the idea of God, we talk about a monotheistic God, right? Don't we? That, that, that separates Judeo-Christianity from most world religions uh, <clears throat> in his identity as... Um, but uh, a lot of times there's an there's a erroneous idea stated about uh, the origin or the idea of God, and that is that the first impression of God in history is monotheistic. You'll hear sometimes that's stated and that later on um, uh, polytheism derived from that. That's actually not true. Um, People who are critics of Christianity will say, no, polytheism came first. And in a sense, they're right. Not exactly, but um, I want to turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're not going to go through the whole... Uh, the whole thing, but but Genesis chapter 1 is really where we get our opening idea of God, where humanity gets his opening idea of God from. And it opens with this sentence, which doesn't really tell us anything in English, unfortunately. I mean, it does, but, but not in, in terms of the identity of God. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Right? And so 
uh, the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the surface of the watery depths. The Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the water, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness, and called the light day, and the darkness night, and there was evening and morning one day. And so we go through all of the creation. We're going to go down through um, and look more towards the end here. We come down to verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, they will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. So he created him in the image of God, and he created them male and female. And what is the, what, what are some interesting, in, in these verses 26 and 27, what, what's the contradiction here? Not really, but, but what appears to be a, I should say a paradox. What, what looks paradoxical, anything? Okay, so we have our image, and what else do we have? Okay, so let us. So there's, more than so, so there's a plurality. And then what does verse 27 say? His. His. So, so it, it jumps back to the singular. Right? Uh, so, so there's this plural singular combination, and it's, it's, it's really strange. Now, if we, uh, if we had a Hebrew Bible, and if I read Hebrew, um, then the first verse that we read would kind of show us that this idea of singularity is not the original concept because the third word of the Hebrew Bible is God, but it is a form of God. That's is the word. Anybody know what the word is? It's, you've heard it before, I'm sure. Elohim. You ever heard of that? Elohim. Uh, and that's, that's the third the third word of the Hebrew Bible is Elohim, and Im is a plural ending. And so, so in, in, most, in most languages, how you end a word is very, very significant. Um, if you say it, if you write it wrong, people don't get any, have no idea what you're talking about. Okay, we're, and we're going to get to that too. That's, that's important. Yes. Um, so, so God is plural. Uh, by the by, the way, you'll you'll the cherubim and seraphim, right? We we falling down before you, right? And and we just read that. Well, that's a seraph is an angel. A cherub is a kind of an angel. But when they put im on the end of it, those are plural. So that means there's lots of seraph seraphs and a lot of cherubs. Right, that's seraphim and cherubim. So, so when we have L is the, the root for the first description of God, even before Jehovah. Um, L was their basic idea of God. Um, and, and so, um, and it has to do with, um, uh, well, let's not get into etymology. We've got time restraints here. Uh, but... Um, we, so so we, we begin with this idea, actually, of, of, of plurality. And you can kind of see, can't you, then from where humanity develops different ideas about, about many gods. And, and they're coming up with all these theories. Why? Because they're trying to figure out Elohim. 
They're trying to figure out a plural God. Let us make man in our image. Uh, so uh, certainly God is not going to, and, and the way, um, like if you talked with the Jehovah's Witness, who don't even, they, they stick, to, stick to a strict monotheism where there's only one individual, they will accuse us of believing in um, plur- like uh, in, in um, polytheism, and so they have to say, "Well, this is like angels or something like that." What's the problem there? God saying, "Let us make man in our image," talking about angels. <clears throat> what would be wrong with that? Anything? Okay. <clears throat> what conversation can God have where anything is? in the same conversation as him. To, to do anything where they would be considered a peer group. He right. would be saying, in your image. Yeah. If he was right. There, there's, right. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing that God can include in, even an angel in that would make them a peer group. They're not, you know, when we, we get into next week, we'll talk more about, like, we talked about their almightiness or or there's nothing that an angel much like man there's there's no way we can include ourselves in that conversation um so um so we do want to get then to the idea of one because we get to even genesis includes this this concept of being singular um Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. We, we come all the way to Deuteronomy, really, before this is stated specifically as a doctrine. Someone want to read that? Deuteronomy 6, 4 and 5. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. <coughs> right, so, so, so here we, we're already ready to go into the promised land. That's what Deuteronomy is right. Moses reading or reciting the law before they go in. Uh, and, and so this is where really where a lot of the, the specific focus on monotheism starts. Um, not that, that they didn't have the idea before. As I said, Genesis chapter 1 contains it. Uh, but but it's it's being fleshed out really for the first time, and so we have this word one. Now this word one has been used before um, in Genesis chapter one verse nine. God said, "Let the water under the sky be gathered into one place." That's the same word one. There's different words one, um, and so there it kind of refers to a collective. It's not like water. You can't have one water. It's in one place. <clears throat> it's not really singular. It's collective. Uh, here's another one. In Genesis chapter 2. And verse um, 24. This is... So a, a man should leave his father and his mother... And so cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. It's the same, same, same word, uh, same one. And that is, it's not singular. They're not going to become one body. 
in, in terms of physically. But what, what are they going to be? What is a man and his wife going to be? United. United. And that's the concept. Uh, it's the same idea within a collective. There's this uh, a connection. And so God, in saying that he is one, is never saying we're a singular personality. He's saying we're perfectly united. Now, why is that in the... In the history of uh, of humanity how does that separate judeo-christianity from all other religions that concept of unity that means it's kind of right with us and all the other ones that gods are apart from them like okay they were way up in the okay yeah that's good all of the other religions that have multiple gods they are not they are not cohesive at all. They murder each other. They plot against each other. They keep secrets from each other. They do all sorts of horrific things in their mythologies. Every, every mythology. There is no... There is... This is and God says, no, this is different. We, we don't do things apart from each other in terms of... Um, the, the, the closest you can come to that in the scriptures is where, where Jesus says, not my will, but thine be done. And that, that illustrates really our point. That Jesus had maybe some particulars that he would have rather not had in, in their collective plan. But he said, listen, this is a unified thing. This is one thing throughout eternity that we've been doing. And I'm not going to step out of that this is a part of what defines God is that he's perfectly unified and Christ is being God. It's like, no. Yes, if, if, if I was on my own and didn't have the Father to deal with and the Holy Spirit, it might look different. <coughs> but we're one. And that is, that's more important than any other individual thing that they would, they would have. So, so they are perfectly unified. And no polytheism has ever portrayed their deities that way. So then, <clears throat> what is the idea? We talk about God as plural and God is one. Then, where do we go from there talking about the identity from God? God is what? As we move back to the topic of plurality, specifically what God is? God is three, right? That, as we flesh out the idea more, God is three. Well, Becky, you pointed out, where do we begin? When, before we talk about three, God is what? We, we say God is plural, but Genesis describes how many elements of that Godhead? Two. Two. And this is, this is tricky. We, we have a reference to God. And, and by the way, when, when we see God in the, in the Bible, be, there are different ways God is referenced. God is referenced as the entirety. The word God refers to the entirety. But when, when God breaks it up into individuals and references the individuals, the word God will refer to the Father. Right? Um, right? God... 
it will reference God and Jesus. Well, Jesus is God, but that's a general word, and it will be used to reference the Father if it's in contrast with the other members. Um, so, so in Genesis chapter 1, we have a contrast between God and who? Holy the Holy Spirit. Now, is Christ in Genesis chapter 1? Is he? He's later stated as the one who created. He's in there, but we don't see him there. Colossians talks about uh, him being there. In fact, Genesis chapter 1, one or excuse me, John 1 1. Someone want to read John 1 1. Okay. And we would go down through here and it would become extremely clear that it's talking about that the word is Christ. Uh, you get down, down through like verse 9 and 14 and somewhere, those later verses in that opening chapter, it, it, it's clear. Uh, so, so he's pictured as uh, without him nothing was created that was created and all those different elements of chapter 1. And it's, it, I think it's kind of obvious that John intended to structure the first verse of his book after the first verse of Genesis. Yes? The one other thing that I always found very interesting about Genesis is in chapter 2, whenever they hide from God. Yes. They heard God walking. Okay, it's right. Like he is a physical being. Yes, yes. That, that is important, that, that as, as God, God is with them in the garden, um, th- there's a lot to unpack in that. Boy, that's yeah, a, there's a lot in there. Who, but it's just an interesting detail that you never yeah. see that anywhere. And they recognized the sound. Yeah, yep. They recognized the sound. It's like, like you know, you, you recognize the sound of certain footsteps in your house. Or, you know, the, who's coming up the stairs. You're kind of familiar with the, the way that certain people walk. Right? And my daughter walks on, or she used to, I don't think she does quite as much as she used to. She walks, almost, used to walk almost exclusively on her heels. And, and it's just like, I could tell, you know, it sounded like I was going to have to replace the wood on my floor. It's like, boom, boom, boom. Like, and, and I knew who was walking. It's like, okay, Adelaide's up. And so, um, but you get used to those, those the, the sound of that. And they knew the sound of God in the garden, Travis. I was also going to say that the Okay, so so, Jacob, you know. so there's there's that reference to angel of the Lord, and 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 uh, there are lots of theories on that, and I'm not sure where I stand on that. I go back and forth on that one, so I'm going to stay out of those deep waters. In the law, where it outlines everything, it talks about in the camps, the soldiers were to have a shovel and to uh, cover up their excrements. Because the Lord your God walked the same thing as what Mark's talking about, walks among you mm. and walks in the kingdom. Yeah, th- there's, there's a lot of references to, to God uh, that we find out, and this is important, that we find out in the New Testament were references to Christ that we do not know from the Old Testament. This is why it was so offensive when Christ said it, came and said, I'm God. There's lots of references prophetically to a Messiah coming. 
but the word Messiah merely means anointed. There's lots of Messiahs. Hezekiah was called a Messiah. Cyrus, the, the various ones were anointed by God. That, that word anointed. David was anointed. Saul was called the Lord's anointed. That's the word Messiah. Um, and, and so the word Messiah did not intrinsically refer to a deity. We look at it that way because we understand the fulfillments of the prophecy, but they didn't. And so, so until the New Testament, Jesus Christ is not defined as a member of what we would call the Trinity. In fact, he's not even referenced as a son in the Old Testament. He's referenced vaguely, and we find out what those references are later. You know, um, typologies and, and various things like that. So, uh, there are, however, three. If you were asked to give a support for three specific, how would you do that? Ever thought about that? How would you give a, an argument? I don't have a pocket. How would you give an argument for Three. I think of the baptism. Yeah. Okay, so um, Matthew twenty-eight nineteen. There's a couple. There's there's probably like ten verses like this. We're not going to look at all of them. These these types of verses. We're going to look at three of them. This is. Um, so I want to read twenty-eight nineteen. I believe. Okay. What did we say about creation? Where God is mentioned plural, he says, let us make man in our image. Who's going to be in there as an equal? Okay. It's going to have to be someone on the same level. And so here he's saying the, the regeneration work of baptism is done in the authority of, that's what this means. It doesn't mean the name, the actual name, like my name is Andrew J. Green. You know, like that, that's not what name this refers to. It talks about the authority of. Uh, because I don't know the Holy Spirit's name. You know, Bob T. Spirit. I, I, don't, I, I don't know what his name is. Right, he's talking about the authority of baptism is done under the authority of these three. So, so who is going to be a peer with the Father? Right, it's going to be God. It's going to be a deity. We're a part of one deity. And so there's a Father, there's a Son, and the Spirit. And they, they, they do different things in this process, by the way. Right? It's the blood of Christ. It's the plan of God. Or God's will, and it is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. They all have, this is why they're all a part of this process. Okay. Anybody else? Any, any, anyone have an idea that would come to your mind? Second Corinthians 13. Okay, that's the next one on my list. So, want to read that? May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God. 
and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Okay. So 2 Corinthians 13:14 What are they doing? What what general thing are are the Father, Son and Holy Spirit God, the Holy Spirit and and Christ what are they doing? And by the way, do you notice the God compared to the other two? Right? So what what is the general thing that they're doing? Okay, the blessings of God are conveyed by these three. Various spiritual elements, whatever they are, the, the Father, the Son, and the, the Spirit all have a role in this. They are equal in these things. One more that we're going to look at, 1 Peter 1-2. This is going to kind of parallel Matthew, Matthew's account. Oh, excuse me. Did I have, I might have wrote First Peter in my notes. Well, I definitely wrote First Peter in my notes. Good catch. Looking at your footnotes. I was looking at the notes you sent out. Oh, did, okay, so it's wrong in my notes. So, well, one of them is wrong, so I guess I'm right. <laughs> okay, so 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 then it's First Peter. So I was wrong in my email or whatever my so in my notes. So that would make a difference because Second Peter only lists two. Oh, but we still got a plural. So, so I get partial credit for the the other mistake. So someone read want to read First Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the province of Pontus, Galatia. Okay, so that was which one? First Peter one and two. Let me double check here. I'm doubting myself. Okay, yeah, okay, I missed this. All right. So what, what is the basic work then? What are they involved in? Okay, salvation essentially, sanctification. Uh, the plan, we see the plan, the foreknowledge, the foreknowledge of God, the Father, the plan, the sanctifying work, and the sprinkling of the blood of Christ. It, it, it parallels almost exactly what we see in the Matthew passage about baptism. It's the same thing. They're individuals. They have roles. They have things that they, they do. It's a part of that unified plan. Any more that stick out in your brain you've ever heard of. We're going to spend a little time here. I want someone to read 1 John 5, 7, and 8. We're going to I save this for the end for a reason. 1 John Yep. Okay. 
What anyone ever heard a conversation about these this particular verse? That would seem like the like okay, open and shut. Anybody have any footnotes in their Bible that say anything about this? Some of you might even have a Bible that doesn't have it. Does anybody have a Bible that like omitted it? This says the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. Okay. At least three or one. Okay. Does anybody have like is it in italics or something for anybody? Or brackets? No? Mine just says so we have these three witnesses. Okay. Okay. This is a very controversial verse. Let's let you know. Uh, because it's really odd, and you, if you ever get into a discussion with somebody on this, they will say something akin to, this does not appear in, some will say any manuscripts, depending on uh, how accurate they are, uh, until the 1500s. This little, it's called the Johannine comma, like an like a insert. Uh, and they'll say, it, it doesn't appear in our originals. Some will say it doesn't appear in any Greek manuscripts. That's true. It's really odd that in manuscripts, in ancient manuscripts, there are primarily Latin ones and Greek ones. And the Latin ones almost exclusively have this, and the Greek ones exclusively do not have it. It's really a strange thing. So, so the struggle is to figure and explain why. Well, we know that, so the assumption is that the Bible was originally written in Greek, that we should therefore trust the Greek manuscripts more. That's logical to me, uh, just without looking at anything else. So since the Greek ones don't have it, I would logically assume that the Latin ones, being a little bit later, have added it somewhere. But why exclusively? You would think that just by random, someone over here would have it and someone over here wouldn't. So it's obvious that ones made from a copy here have it, and these ones made from copies don't have it. That, that's the argument. And I want to look at it a little bit more uh, closely and say, so, so for this reason, a lot of people in the discussion of the Trinity will not use this verse. Because it's, it, you get bogged down into an argument over whether or not this is... Um, authentic and, and it becomes a side discussion when as we've, we've gone through we've, we've illustrated I think sufficiently there is a plurality God is a plurality and we can sufficiently from the scriptures without this verse show that there is three members, three personalities right so this passage really um, I believe this is authentic and I'm going to explain why. First of all, um, uh, there is manuscript evidence, as I've said, stated. There's lots of Latin, which go back fairly early, um, and long before 1500. Um, in fact, uh, we have 12 what we call a codex. A codex is not, is not just a manuscript. It's like almost a complete copy of a scripture. It's, it's like a long, it might not have every book, but it's got a long list of, so, so what we would call codex. There are 12 codexes dated from the 500s up through the 900s that contain it. That's pretty old. So the question is, where do these codexes get it from? But even more important than that is, um, 
looking at where it's cited, it is cited by even older texts. In other words, we might not have the original copy of it, but, um, well, first let me handle the argument. The argument is that the Trinity is a Catholic concept, and Catholics, because they're Latin, put it in there to, so that they could win debates. But we, get, we will get quotations as we go back in time before, really, before the Catholic Church existed. The Catholic Church will say that they existed from Peter, and, 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 and the, that's not true. <laughs> the Catholic Church doesn't really get formed until like around the late 300s, 400s is where it's solidifying as what we would call the Catholic Church. And, and there are lots of citations before that. Uh, in the year 258 AD, a guy by the name of Cyprian says this. He says, the Lord says, I and the Father are one. Again, so that's, uh, that's quoting from, from the Gospels. But again, it is written of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that these three are one. Where did Cyprian get that from? Well, he must have had a scripture that said that somewhere. Or a copy of a scripture long before 1580 that said that. Um, Origen, we've heard that name in two, the year around 240 AD, says in his commentary on Psalms, the Lord our God is three, for these three are one. And again, that's an obvious reference to a verse somewhere. He's quoting something. There's a guy by the name of Tertullian. You might have heard of that name. Uh, he writes uh, in a, a debate, a written debate with, with someone he considered a heretic named Prexius. Uh, around 280, he says, in the case of this heresy, which supposes itself the pure truth, and we're going to talk about what heresy that is, uh, in thinking that one cannot believe in only one God in any other way than by saying that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is one person. So he, that's what he's describing as a heresy. That, that idea that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are one individual, one personality. Um, as if in this way also one were not all, in that all are of one by unity, that is of substance. So again, a reference to this all being one, that, that quotation from First John. And it is contained in a, a copy of scriptures, it was called the Waldensian scriptures. They were a, Waldensians were a, um, off, they were like a, early rebellion to Catholicism. But what's interesting is that their copy of the scriptures has a, a form of Latin that they've had this Bible. They weren't Waldensians yet, but they had Bibles or copies, codexes, that were written in Old Latin. It's a form of Latin that ceased to exist in 157 AD. Think about that. that, that that's like a timestamp. It's, like it's like having a copyright page in your Bible that at the very latest, we know that 157 was a, a, a time. That's, that's within 60 years of the time John wrote this. That gives really good authenticity for this reference. Now, I want to explain just with a few minutes where this likely happened. It likely is not something that was added to the scriptures by the Catholics. It is likely something that was removed by those with other scriptures. And here's how that worked. 
Does anybody know what one of the first types of debates were in the church over doctrine? Gnostics. <laughs> Who wrote primarily against Gnostics in the Bible? John. John. <laughs> That's what his gospel is devoted to. That's what the first letter of John primarily is devoted to. Is it, These people that denied the deity of Christ or fully the deity of Christ. And they had, or some of them, there were all different types of Gnosticism. But, but they're... Uh, they denied Jesus in the flesh. They denied. They they had some really weird views, and so um, it was a Greek idea. It, it came from from those who um, they they might have been Jews in Alexandria, and they were mixing Christianity with Greek philosophy. Well. Um, there ends up being this contest. And, and Gnosticism shifts. Gnosticism as a philosophy itself dies fairly early, but it changes shape. And there's another person, as he was a bishop or, or a priest in Africa, um, I think in the mid-100s or mid-200s, mid-200s, excuse me, that starts espouting, espouting a new doctrine off of this. His name was Arius. And, and so he comes up with an idea called Arianism. And Arianism denied flatly the deity of Christ. It denied the existence of a trinity. So, so this, was the, this raged for 300 years, this, this thing, until it died out. Well, what is happening in the Roman Empire? Rome is declining, right? Rome is where the Trinity is kind of believed in, where, where some of the quotes that we've read, these men are closer in Western Africa and various things like that. But where, where is gaining prominence? In Turkey. Turkey's near Greece. Uh, and so, so these thoughts are gaining in the Grecian part of the world, Arianism. Constantine becomes a Christian baptized by an Arian. Now, he kind of tried to get everyone to go along and, and be nice to each other. But when he dies, after him, his successors for a long time were all Arian. And they were persecuting Catholics. And in fact, they were the ones that were instrumental in converting a lot of the barbarian troops that come down and do what? They conquer Rome. Wave after wave after wave come down and conquer Rome. Uh, so, so they came down as Aryan. Now, as they intermingled, they started adopting more Trinitarian views later on because of their connection to Rome. But this first... 400 years really of the of, of this post of apostolic age is all Aryan. They don't believe so. So it's it's more likely that I mean they're they're willing to kill people for their religious views. It's also likely that they were willing to alter and remove from the text 
references, any references they could find to Jesus' deity. They did not. They specifically did not like John's writings because he was so clear about Jesus' deity. Uh, so a lot of people, a lot of people didn't even have John's writings in their, their versions of the Bible in this, in this sector of the world. So uh, I don't have a problem with this verse in the Bible. I think it's authentic. Um, but like I've pointed out, uh, I stay away from it in arguments because you get off into an argument of, it becomes more an argument of, is it there than is it not? Like what I just went through is good history, but who wants, if you're trying to discuss God, who wants to go through what I just went through in order to, to make a point about, it's like, it's like you're so lost in the weeds in a discussion. So uh, any thoughts as we close? Remind me when the uh, scriptures became known for Levi's or Bible. Uh, so it would be um, various men started compiling uh, uh, scriptures. It would be before the Catholic Church existed as an entity. Um, I'm, I'm, I think a guy by the name of Eusebius, who lives like late 200s, early, early 300s, uh, worked off of another guy by the name of Irenaeus. There were various men who were trying to compile what they and, and investigate what they thought were authentic scriptures versus ones that were counterfeit. But it's typically Eusebius's work that formulated our New Testament 27 books. So I don't have his exact date. All right, you're dismissed. <laughs>